jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. And now, cover girl. This is Under the Covers with Claire Connors on jasoncharles.net This is Claire Connors. The following is part two of my conversation with writer and editor Sharon Boone. I think one thing that you and I both agree on that was that working in magazines, it's a treacherous business, any, no matter who you are, what your sex, what your orientation, your skin color, it's a hard business. It's a fun business and it, you reap a lot of great things out of it, but no one gets out unscathed. Yeah, it's, it's very much a paradox to think that we work so hard and it's so rough to do to make a product that makes life look very breezy and easy. Uh-huh. Like it's the business of simple solutions. Yes. Surefire ways. Like, and there is nothing simple or surefire <laughs> to surviving to make life look like it's like, see, look how easy. Yeah. The easier that the magazine is trying to tell you the solution is or that life is or fix your relationship problems or your health and all, like the harder it probably is to work at that magazine. You are so funny. You're such a natural editor. You literally just the cover lines for a magazine, for other magazine people. How to survive working at Vogue. <laughs> you know, five simple ways to, to, you know, eat lunch at your desk. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's like, it, it does take a certain personality, though, I think, for to work in magazines. We've watched people. I mean, like I said, you and I have been in this the same amount of time. We're, we're survivors. But we've watched people have to jump off, you know, for whatever reasons. And it takes a certain gumption, I think, to survive. Yeah. You know, when I was younger and you saw people like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you're young and stupid, you just think like, oh, they... Not that they didn't have it, and it's not that I thought I was better than them, but it was like, oh, if they had only stuck it out a little bit longer, like they just need, they just lack that just little bit of courage or just that little stick to itiveness. Yeah. But I have it. I have pluck and gumption, you know. And then as you go along, you're like, yeah, they made the right decision, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like then you start to realize, oh, you do the right thing for you, like for your own. I saw people particularly when I worked at Glamour, but throughout that were, you know, crying in the ladies room every day because their (laughs) boss was, you know, made their life a misery for sport, you know, and that is not, that's not good for them. That's not good for their spirit. That's not good for their health. Yeah. You know, and it was just amazing to see that a mag, especially at women's magazines that were always yay women. Uh You're the voice for women, pro-women, destroy the women who work there. You are so right. And and I don't, and look, going back to Condi Ness, I think we have, you know, Anna Wintour, she came out last week saying, you know, saying that Vogue has to change. I don't think she included the entire company in her statement. I think she was saying that Vogue was, you know, a, a problem 
a hornet's nest of problems in terms of the way that people are treated. But it was clearly a springboard off of what happened at Bon Appetit. And what do you think? Do you think, first of all, do you think Anna Winter will step down? Do you think that the future of Condé Nast is a new editorial director? Or what do you think will happen? Well, I mean, I just wasn't aware that Anna Winter was in a coma all this time and she just awoke and oh my gosh, I'm shocked, shocked to discover that the magazine that I was in charge of for all these many years is a nest of racism and inequality. I mean, who would have thunk? So I don't see her as being the agent of change that she's trying to position herself in. So I don't want to say that her position is untenable right now. I, because, you know, she's hung on all this time, but I feel like it's a time for Mm -hmm. a change. But at the same time, you know, as a black editor, I think it's really rich that all of these media companies are having this, you know, new conversation and how we're going to make all these changes at the time, especially in magazine and print publishing, when the industry itself has been circling the drain for a long time. So I put it to uh, friends yesterday. I said, it's sort of like, you know, booking the Count Basie Orchestra to play the Titanic 10 minutes after it hit the iceberg. Like, great, but it's going down. So <laughs> congratulations, you know. Yeah, no, it's the, the end, watching the magazines die. I mean, I'm so happy that there, that I'm seeing more women of color on the on magazine covers. That means a lot to me personally. And, you know, obviously we want to encourage that to keep happening. But at the same time, magazines are, they're on their way out. It's just like, what's going to happen next in that regard? Is everything going to be digital Right. And then are these digital publications going to be doing, making the same mistakes Mm -hmm. as, you know, the legacy publishing houses? And then, you know, we'll be having this conversation when we're toothless and gray, like 20 years from now, or are they going to really be looking at it and saying like, we need to, to clean, not clean house, but like get our house in more in order. So it's a more, representative and fair to everybody. And when I say representative, I don't mean it in this, like a lot of times people say like, oh, there's a nod to diversity, which just means tokenism for some people, you know? So it's like, oh, we've hired a few or there's one. (laughs) And I remember just in my career, sometimes at various magazines, sitting at my desk and when there's a school group, like a high school group or a college group and they come through and then you discover that like the publisher or the top editors suddenly they, they do know where you sit because they damn sure make sure that group passes by your desk to oh. see you sitting there like, Oh, look, somebody black is typing away. They work here. And you're like, what, why are all these people, you know, by my desk or by my office? And it's like, mm, yeah. Yeah. This is all an illusion. Yeah. You know, the idea that if you hire a person of color to be, you know, to work in your magazine, that then they're only going to be, you know, they're good for like February's Black History Month. (laughs) Get on it. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Or that they're like, tell us what are black people thinking about this? You know, like that they have to be on the black beat of the magazine instead of whatever the subject matter that the magazine is, people of color have thoughts and contributions for all of it. Right. And that's something that I came up against, you know, often in my career is that like, if you wanted to pitch some story ideas or you had an opinion about something, it was taken more as, oh, that's your opinion as a black person or your story idea is the black version of the story instead of, no, it's the general, this is a general magazine and I have a general story idea about something, you know, like that, that happens a lot. And I think that even in listening to or reading about what's happened at Bon Appetit, like they were saying, you know, like I, I want to contribute. I have story, you know, story ideas for recipes or like deep dives into things. And it's like, oh, you're just the, you know, the Latin culinary expert or, you know, like, well, we're not doing, you know, Asian dishes this month. So, right. You know, what, what could you possibly contribute to this? That was so sad to read when you realize what, how they were differentiating everything. They compartmentalize, like that's their way of taking, of dealing with a lot of information. It'll be easier to do it like this as opposed to being open and letting people have opinions about other things besides their, you know. Yeah, the, that a, a person of color can have an opinion about other things that are outside of their race, but also that if they might have some insight into things that are bubbling up within their communities that maybe other editors that are not of that race have not seen yet. So right. it's like right. you could have gotten ahead of the curve on some things. You could, you know, be to be more inclusive is to be more, not for a reasons of tokenism, but to be more open to like good ideas can come from anywhere. Yeah. My favorite jobs that I've ever worked were, were magazines where we have like brainstorm meetings where anybody could contribute, which is why 17 Magazine is my favorite job I ever worked because we'd have these meetings and anybody could contribute ideas about for any section of the magazine. Yeah. And that's when I, you know, that's really hit, hit home for me that good ideas can come from anywhere for, you know, it's not like, oh, I work in the fashion section, so I can't pitch an idea for like health or anything else. Like, no, like people, you know, you have experiences, you have conversations, you have a life outside of working at the magazine and that can inform the ideas. And that's what makes the magazine and life more interesting. Absolutely. That's the part that I just don't, I feel like they, people don't get when they, they're so narrow-minded. Like you have more interesting conversation when you include more interesting people in those conversations. With when it's background. everybody talking, yeah. this like weird bubble of you're talking to the same people, our kind of people. Right. So Sharon, you know, we have these high in the sky ideas of how things can be made better and how change can, can happen. In your experience as an, as an editor, with all of your background of, you know, knowing the positive and the negative, do you think magazines have a chance to fix things, you know, invite more people to the, to the editorial table to give their ideas. And are you hopeful or what are you thinking about right now? I think 
that there's always a chance. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I think that it's going to take a lot of very uncomfortable conversations. All right, and, and the problem is that people don't like to be uncomfortable. The people of color who work at publications or who are trying to freelance at places, who are trying to get their foot in the door, have things to say and they feel like that they can't really be real. They can't say it because fear of reprisal, I'll never work, you know, is gonna get around. There are many people that are that got labeled difficult because when you ask for things that you that are your due when you point out something that is unfair even just pointing it out like hey i think that's wrong oh now you're difficult and you're a problem because you've made somebody uncomfortable and i think that really this is to white editors you like get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable it doesn't always have to be an accusation, so you shouldn't always sort of take it as an accusation. This is something to discuss. This is something that you can have a hand in fixing. So instead of being defensive, when if somebody says, "How come there? You, you know, we rarely have feature black black creatives in this magazine." Like when that conversation comes up, it's usually the reaction is very defensive. And then you're, and then that person is seen as a problem instead of you thinking like, like you would any other situation in a magazine, like, oh, let's find a solution for it. You know, oh, the budget got cut. Oh, this celebrity dropped out. That's a problem. And everybody comes together like, okay, let's brainstorm a solution. That's the magazine world that I love is that kind of collaboration and that kind of everybody's creative, finding a creative solution. But when the problem is, hey, this is some narrow thinking going on with the people who work here, don't fall back into these, you know, the ramparts of this being defensive. Like, what do you mean? No, look, you're here. There's a, there's a girl, she's black or tan or something. I don't know, she's, you know, stop doing that. Start thinking like, hey, let's, maybe you're right. Let's really like try to figure out how to be better at this. So I am hopeful that one day that's something that will happen more instead of there being, you know, like it's an accusation and now I'm going to be defensive and here's a counter accusation. And now the person who brought it up somehow finds themselves like out on the street, which has happened so many times and so many creatives of color have ended up leaving the business because of that. And I think that people really need to examine their past and somehow did they contribute to something like that and how they can fix it. So that's my hope. That's a good hope. <laughs> I, I think there's a possibility. I do. I mean, I'm loving Gen Z because I feel like they're stepping up in a much more open way. And, you know, the next generation of people working for magazines will probably be that, that younger age. Although I do want to do a shout out to ageism in magazines too, because oh. they fire old people all the time because they don't think that we are, and I'm including myself in that, they don't think that we're with it enough or whatever their reasoning is, or that our opinions are not worthy as well. So I'm just saying there no, are- 
You're absolutely right. I mean, that that is something that happens. And then they wonder why there's no like institutional memory about things. That goes back to my, you know, what I said before about like, you never know where a good idea is going to come from. And what does the good idea generator look like? You know, stop thinking that, you know, it looks like a certain kind of person. So we're both hopeful that things are going to, you know, improve, um, maybe not in our lifetime, <laughs> but maybe it will. Um, so you've got, you've got a couple of projects going on now. So you're, you're working at um, a website. You are the editor and writer of? At Happify. Happify. Happify, which is a digital health company where we create science-based activities and we do games to help people reduce their anxiety and stress and depression. So I write their engagement email newsletters and some of the social content. Uh, I edit the articles and I also write for their uh, AI named Anna. So we have uh, an artificial intelligence that people can uh, communicate with that helps take them through these activities that, you know, help them sort of think about more and get deeper dives into things like conquering their negative thoughts or, you know, how to have more energy or things about burnout on the job. So it's been like really interesting. Like, and it's also been interesting to take my mostly women's magazine background and figure out how to write it for an artificial intelligence. It's like similar, but not exactly. So at first it was like a nice, interesting, like writing sort of exercise to do. But yeah, I I love it. And you're also, one thing I love about your social media, you do uh, cocktails in a classic movie you're doing currently with your husband and that, and that, that coincides with your website, uh, The Luscious Life. Yes. Um, I, sort of fell into this love of cocktail culture and booze and things um, some years in the mid 2000s when it sort of started exploding again, the craft cocktail movement. I I went to the soft opening of employees only downtown and I was just like, it just opened my eyes. And so I, when I worked at Essence as the health editor, I also was the food editor and I, decided to add coverage of booze to the food pages because and you got free booze, right? <laughs> yeah, that, was, that wasn't bad. <laughs> and I remember I didn't ask my editor in chief permission. I sort of like talked to the art people, the designer for the page. And I was like, can I just have a column on this food story that I'm just gonna call like this month's pour and it'll be, you know, we'll talk about some drinks and then they put it in. And then we were like, let's see if anybody notices. And nobody ever said anything. And by the third month, the editor in chief said, what's, what's this month's pour? And I was just like, huh, we got away with it. That's so awesome. Yeah, and then I sort of spun that into my website, The Luscious Life. I love old movies. And I love classic cocktails and my husband hated old movies. And so during quarantine, I was like, let's start watching old movies so you'll start to love them. So every day we watch a classic, usually black and white movie. And then I just pair it with a cocktail. So 
that'll keep him in case he doesn't like it as much. I'm like, here's a drink. And then I post it on my uh, Instagram account. Oh, so, so what's your Instagram? Is it at Sharon R. Boone? Yeah, at Sharon R. Boone. So it's on my Instagram account and there's a movie every day and a drink every day. Where else can everyone find, find your work? I love your website. We love the picture of you on your website. It's so cute. <laughs> um, and that's SharonRBoone.com. And is that, your, is that where people can find your work and read about you? Yeah, that's, that's my little work portfolio nice. site. And also, as you mentioned, my drinks-centric site, The Luscious Life, which I probably should be updating more often because I'm doing more of the drinking and not so much of the posting on that. But all that is to say that I always update and often update my Instagram site at Sharon R. Boone. And that's where my movies, the movie pics are, drinks, pictures of drinks, pictures of movies, pictures of movies with drinks. <laughs> I love it. It makes me very happy every time I see one of your beautiful drinks and you really, you shoot them beautifully and I love your movie choices. So everyone should be following Sharon's Instagram account to keep updated on what, the, what she and her husband are doing every night. <laughs> we won't go any further than that. <laughs> but Sharon, thank you so much for being on the show with me. It's, it's meant a lot. I've loved reconnecting with you. It's been way too long. And this has been Under the Covers with Claire Connors at jasoncharles.net. And the show is available on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. And please go to our um, Instagram account at Under the Covers with Claire. And we will be showing the covers that, that Sharon and I have talked about. We're going to find that Whitney Houston cover from 17. And um, we're going to throw up some other cute things on from Ebony and Essence and Jet, if we can find them, just to show what Sharon was seeing as, as a young teenager and inspired her to become the magazine badass editor that she is. <laughs> Thank you so much, Claire. This has been lovely. I, oh. It's made my whole day. Oh, good. Well, you've been, you're a fantastic guest. <laughs> so again, more, more on everything. We'll, we'll have you back in six months and see if anything's changed. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> You've been listening to Under the Covers with Claire Connors on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Claire Connors, a.k.a. Claire the Celebrity Booker, go to Claire the Celebrity Booker on Instagram. Jason Charles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.